Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice as an advising representative with Gold Investment Management, LTD, a firm registered as a portfolio manager and located in Edmonton, Alberta. This podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Joel Shackleton, Cam Pitchers, or GIM have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Cam, welcome to the uh, the new studio. Isn't it amazing? Look how far we've come. <laughs> Honestly, three and a half years ago, I had um, no idea that I would be trying to be sitting across in person with somebody in a studio <laughs> session, trying to talk about markets, uh, sports a little bit, and and kind of finance in general. It seems a little bit surreal. However, yeah. um, I'm excited. And um, I think this is, I don't know, signs of the times to come. Yeah, it's so neat. Even just coming up here, obviously, it's just kind of, obviously, there's two other people in the room here with us that are now helping us out. Um, Already forget the name. Sorry, boys. I'll remember that for next time. But um, just cool to even see, like, we've been just putting this together ourselves for, and mostly you, doing the editing and putting the videos together and teaching me how to put a mic on properly and everything like that and being able to just you know, ask questions and then have answers immediately. It's just, it's such a cool thing to see how far of this industry has come and this like little segment of, of the industry in terms of like podcasting content, et cetera. So it's super cool. And, um, one of these days we're going to have a sports desk and we're going to be sitting at it and it's going to be, that'll be a thing. I'm, I'm giving us five years and but prompters too. Yes. That'd be I mean, super cool. I need that. And you know, the other thing is I, I got a little bit of nervous energy today for this for sure. Cause like, I mean, we've been doing it for a while. I know how many people we have download our episode, which is amazing. Thank you for doing that. Everyone listening today, but actually having two physical people in the room, it's like, Oh my God, there's actually people here listening to us. <laughs> yeah. And there's no way they're going to think this is interesting either, <laughs> but um, let's quickly go over what was, I mean, for myself, the most depressing thing that's happened in a long time, watching the Oilers lose. Yeah, a little bit of a post-mortem here. I'm glad we didn't record. Usually we'd be recording immediately after what happened last night, Sunday. That would have been probably not the greatest. You came right from the game, so you actually would have had probably some real hot takes last night, but probably not a true sense of what you actually believed. But it is too bad. I mean sports are and we talked about it last week or week before about how much luck is involved in the nhl and i actually wanted to quickly like you talked about the ratings and stuff or we went back and forth on ratings and how positive it was out of the first round and like kind of the initial i'm thinking it's going to absolutely plummet now when you consider i mean we are not going to watch anymore or at least not to the same degree because we're a diehard fan of a team that has just lost and we're probably not going to tune it again until maybe the cup finals when it's like a deciding game or something like that to see who's going to be uh, lifting the trophy but I just think in general for hockey what's happened in this last like who got eliminated in the first round and now who's out in the second round is not good for their numbers so I'm being really interested to see what it is especially in the states because they've kind of had this general uptick of you know the the, the general sports watcher or your your um your your non diehard fan that has been that has been watching and has been some support for that, but I mean you're talking about potentially a Seattle Vegas, which Gary's gonna love, oh. the commissioner he's gonna love that his two expansion teams in the conference final, and then Carolina Florida his two Sun Belt expansion teams from years ago in the final, so he'll be excited. But from a TNT ESPN standpoint, I'm assuming they don't love these matchups. 
yeah. even how maybe the, the, the games could be very intriguing. They're obviously four very good teams, but you have basically no superstar power left. And you also have no major market teams. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see what those numbers come back like. So I have a hot take. This is, if it's not this season, next season is Gary Benton's last season. And I think he either gets fired by the owners mm. or, and this is just my opinion, and obviously hot off of a Oilers loss, <laughs> but um, I've come to a new conclusion about where we are with regards to the NHL sports viewership, et cetera. And I think it's shifted from major markets mattering to major players mm-hmm. and personalities mattering. And while obviously in the NBA you have big names on basically every team, I think it it LeBron James supersedes which team he's at. He could be in Cleveland and it didn't matter. People were going to pay attention. Totally. Same thing now applies to the United or to, to the NHL. And nobody on Vegas is interesting. Nobody on Seattle. I can't even name three players on Seattle. Same goes for the other two in the East. And that is a problem. So in my opinion, you're going to see the biggest drop-off with regards to um, viewership versus round one, round two, yeah. going into round three and four. I mean, I'm not going to pay attention to a single game. I yeah. didn't even – I unfollowed – the NHL, I unfollowed the <laughs> Oilers on Instagram. I'm done. All the Edmonton media. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, everybody out. The, the We had people in our group chat being like, Joel, are you, or not Joel, but um, imagine what 630 Chad sounds like right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm not even thinking about turning that off. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, that, that, is, that is going really too far the other direction. And we have, you, got, you have the draft, you have all these interesting things. But quite frankly, I think we've now seen a change in the way in which people consume their sports. And we are moving away from that hot market, big market, large population being important to being in certain series to it now being the player, the person. For sure. And that is. I think what you can always like fall back on is the major markets. Like when you do have the New Yorks and the Bostons and the Torontos and like, I mean, any Canadian team, realistically, you're going to get a huge push from that side of the border for like the NHL, et cetera. But uh, I agree. I th- I think if in an ideal world, if you were to ask anyone, they want their major players in their major markets just to have that kind of double edged sword in that case, because I think that's always a good thing to fall back on. Like, I mean, the the draft lottery would would have happened right after our recording last week, and the the next one, quote unquote, is going to Chicago, which everyone thinks is. I mean, the teams that were up for. <laughs> Uh, Columbus, Chicago, Arizona. So, I mean, Chicago was really realistically the only like big market team in that grouping that could have landed him. And I guess haven't landed him technically, but it's a foregone conclusion that they're taking him. And so that's the, that's an instance where, um, where it's like this player would have been a big deal if he went to any of those other teams because that's how good he is. And, or you don't think so, actually, that's another one of your hot takes, but we won't get into the uh, <laughs> junior scouting of Joel Shackleton here right now. But the the fact that he's landed in Chicago for a team that is basically cratered but has, was a marquee team for them over the past, like for the league over the past decade, 15 years now, I think they couldn't be happier. So I think in general, I agree with you. If, you, if you're a good enough player, like we talked about in the NBA, like you got Giannis in Milwaukee, like again – you and I driving up to Green Bay for that game. We drove by Milwaukee. We're like, what? <laughs> why would you? Why would anyone stay here past the um, like their minimum requirement essentially? But it's when you're that good of a player and you can and you're marketed correctly and the, like the NBA, they have the reach that they need in order for a player to become so. An average fan in Edmonton, Alberta. If you're a Giannis fan, you're buying a Bucks jersey, and Milwaukee loves that. Mm-hmm. It's good for their franchise, good for their value, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I could see Gary kind of losing some confidence, but at the same time, I think he's with with the my understanding. Obviously, I'm not an, an insider, but my understanding is that the owners uh, he's built up a lot of goodwill with the owners over the years with how well he's done on negotiations and the amount of money that he's brought in on expansion. And I think. A big thing too. We've, I mean, it keeps circling back to the senator's sale. I mean, if that gets, if that number goes for what it's being reported at, like that's going to mean a whole lot more for 
all the owners involved. If you consider Ottawa being kind of a mid-tier team, and if they're going to end up going for $800 million plus, maybe even a billion as it's been rumored, I mean, that's, and I, you know Gary's in those rooms where maybe, you know, he's pushing he's pushing the narrative for his owners to make sure that that number's as high as it can possibly go. So I actually like to think that he's probably going to go through one more negotiation. So the PA just, they have a- 26? Yeah, I think it's 2026 is when the next one, because they, they extended it after um, kind of the COVID. It was supposed to be earlier than that. And then they kind of pushed it out because of all the um, the payback and stuff like that they had to do to the for the players, to the owners for the cost covering over the, the, the COVID years. So, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely a sad day in the capital region here. But you know what? Sometimes the it just doesn't break your way and we have two of the best players. So for everyone out there, that's uh, sad today. I think we'll be back again next year, but it's hard to say that today. It's sad because we had expectations this year and we didn't get a save and that's just the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on market update. Last week was boring, <laughs> boring for sure. <laughs> from, kidding. but, but not for the reasons in which maybe some other people think it might be for me. I had to watch a lot. I had to pay attention to a lot of people. Why? Well, we had CPI that came in um, kind of on target or even just slightly under uh, 4.9% in the United States. Um, It's quite clear that inflation, headline inflation is receding. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact. However, that um, services core CPI is maintaining its stickiness. I mean, it hasn't moved in five months in the United States. Mm -hmm. And with those two data points coming in, you had two separate takes from both sides, from people that were previously bearish to now becoming bullish, and then those that were bullish now becoming bearish. And I have a couple takes that I actually think are both relevant. Um, Recently, Paul Tudor Jones just talked about how um, the Federal Reserve can now basically, well, they can say that they've won. They They can tell everybody inflation's done. And then you have the other side of the the coin where you have Bob Elliott, who for me, uh, ex-chief investment officer at at Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund in the world, I really enjoy his takes. He had a shift in opinion where he's suggested that inflation is higher than the Fed's mandate. It's not on path. And this most recent CPI report is just one additional data point that is showing that inflation remains elevated and is going nowhere. And sadly, we aren't seeing the, the supply chain solutions mm-hmm. fast enough to solve the core problem, which is our housing problem. And if you look at Canada, it's even more of an issue than it is in the United States, especially considering our massive immigration. And I think that if we don't start to approach this um, with additional solutions to just increasing rates, I'm not really confident that we're going to see that soft landing that everybody's been suggesting. And then you combine that with Stan Druckenmiller, who, I mean, for those that are really into markets, he is a market god. Um, He would be on that Mount Rushmore of, if you were to put investment people up there, he would be right in the middle, right beside old um, Warren Buffett. And he was at the Stone Conference pitching some of his ideas, kind of giving the, the lay of the land for the macro. And he himself was very bearish. And but he always is, sadly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he will be he will change his mind in a week. And that's kind of what my job is. I'm I'm supposed to remain open-minded. I'm supposed to be able to take information from both sides and then convey that to clients and to, to people to either one, keep them invested, or two, make the right decisions, whether it be on their business side or whatever, right? And I mean, right now you have a U.S. S&P 500 that is a NASDAQ that's dominated by five or six stocks. And the next conversation we're going to talk about is going to be artificial intelligence, but more specifically Google I.O. And then you have the rest of the market, which is kind of a laggard. Mm -hmm. Now, rest of the market being the United States and Canada. When you go and you look east, however, you have what was, I mean, if you were... (laughs) Listening to this podcast last year, two years ago, everybody that was talking about um, going into this winter, this most recent winter, thought that Europe was going to fall apart. Yeah, that natural gas prices were going to skyrocket. That oil prices were going to remain one twenty five or more. That they were going to freeze. They're going to have rolling blackouts, and 
we're now heading into summer and that doesn't seem to be the, the case. Mm. We have electricity prices in the, our capital region that are darn near all-time lows. Well, maybe not all-time lows, but manageable. Manageable. Yeah. And that story of, of people freezing in Germany just didn't come to fruition. And so this global warming thing really worked out well. Well, tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, tongue in cheek <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be in Florida in 35 years. No. But as an Edmontonian, when you have 30 degree uh, weather in May, yeah. you're yeah. super happy, right? But what that ends up kind of conveying to me is that we are probably in the middle of what I would consider to be a consumer recession. The data isn't showing that because the savings rates um, and the amount of cash that was saved up through that COVID period is so high. Mm. However, um, credit and credit card data is starting to tighten and the data itself is showing that people are slowing down spending. Um, it's starting to hit our travel sector. Airbnb just had a their most recent earnings. And while, yes, they beat, they didn't beat by what everyone thought they were going to. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's definitely, we're cooling here. And it's a good cool, but at the same time, there are cracks. Things are starting to to worry me specifically, especially when you you start to, t to, to look away from the AMDs, the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the NVIDIAs, the, the Facebooks, and you start to take a look closer at the smaller stuff, the stuff that I mean, the consumer uses on a day-to-day -day basis, the Johnson & Johnsons, the, the, the grocery stores, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And while, yeah, this most recent quarter was good, the forward, forward guidance is concerning. 5% interest rates are high. I mean, in my opinion, it's probably where we should be. But at that same time, um, if you're wanting to see continued investment and growth, we're going to have to work through a lot of the, this tension with how much money costs can I actually outreturn that with my business venture? And there's going to be a lot of tug of war there where people are really starting to figure that out. And it's going to take a while to digest. If you're going and raising money from investors, they're concerned. Mm -hmm. They're not going to just hand you cash anymore. And um, the hurdle rate for, for good ideas is really high right now. And you've got to compete with AI. You have to compete with something that is um, incredibly exciting. And that... That real estate deal at a four cap just isn't sexy anymore. Isn't doing anymore. I'm wondering, like, you know, going through, and you, and you have chatted about this a few times over the last, well, year really, but definitely in 2023, and talking about, you know, some of the rebound, especially from kind of the big six that you just talked about, and, or, you know, call it eight or 10, top 10. Um, and, and you're saying, you know, from a forward looking standpoint, the, the, the rest of them, might not be looking so hot when you're considering consumer spending, you know, potentially tightening. So like from that standpoint or how I think of it, I guess, and maybe some of our listeners do too. And I'd like to get your kind of opinion back is if that happens, like how much more do the Googles and the apples and the NVIDIAs have to do in order to balance things out? Are they capable of doing that to balance out the performance of the S and P 500 or the NASDAQ or whatever it might be? And like in my head, I'm like, no, there has to become a breaking point where, um, especially considering the fact that the, the apples and the NVIDIAs and the, the focus of those companies have completely changed. They're cutting, they're focusing on profit, you know, they maybe have big, big projects. Like, I mean, AI, obviously, they're still sinking money into and, and investing in. But it, that's kind of, you know, a major thing that if you're not on board with, this is the this is the way of the future for all of those companies. So they're going to be putting money into that. But in terms of like other investments that they would might be in, in a low interest rate market or a low interest rate environment, they're not making those same kind of investments that's trickling down to the rest of the economy either, which is going to like prop up the values of a number of things. So you're talking about true drawback in, in consumer spending and a lot of these other huge uh, cap companies. Is it like this is the kind of the you're seeing some indications here where it's like, woo, I don't know if this is going to look so hot well, in six more months. I don't think we've ever been, I don't think it's ever been healthy to have so much contribution of return mm -hmm. being so centered. Yeah. The old tech companies, all the eggs in one basket argument. Yeah. yeah. And that's not awesome. And I mean, from an employment perspective, it means you don't have a lot of leverage. Um, from an economy perspective, it concentration tends to be, I mean, really bad because someone can target it just as a, 
a way of comp uh, of of taking you down, and, and for lack of a better word. So, I mean, I don't really have much to say on this other than that that needs to change. We mm -hmm. need some antitrust law. We need something to come in here. We need we need policy that can redistribute the the way in which we spend, the way in which we compete, the way in which people are like going to work. And it's just not showing up anywhere. Um, with all that said, though, I think on a from a tech investment perspective, the people are very eager to invest in AI right now. Mm -hmm. And the way in which you're seeing that represented in public markets, people are investing in in the the big ten. And Paul Graham had a really good tweet thread recently where he discussed where the winners in the AI revolution are going to be found. And in the past, and the reason why Paul Graham is so important is that he was. Um, if I remember correctly, he's the, uh, what's the accelerator in, in California? Anyways, for the lack of not remembering, um, he is well known for being early to, especially software. And he believes that AI is likely going to be, look differently than what it, the, the investment outlook was for software companies. So the last 10 years, 12 years, Paul Graham was investing in software businesses and and running this Y Combinator. Why? Yeah, I was going to say, bang on, buddy. You're good. Yeah. Um, and this accelerator is incredibly um, helpful to creating those 10, 15,000 software layer companies that um, mm -hmm. are operational today. And on a go forward basis, it's his opinion that um, AI is likely going to be the benefactor of AI is likely going to look very similar to how he believes software benefited and and platforms benefited from the iPhone. Right. So you had an iPhone that was a platform in which you could build apps on top of. Right. It was the, the base on. layer. Yeah. Hundred percent. AI is likely that same tomorrow's platform. Now, what sort of hardware is going to enable that? I don't mm. truly know. I think a really good place for people to start is actually going to be. Go check out Odd Lot's most recent podcast where this guy gives you a really good deep dive into how um, semiconductors um, affect artificial intelligence. And he kind of just explains the economics of the whole entire industry, which I think is important for people to understand because you have all of these large language models, these large language models being owned by OpenAI and then Bard being Google. And it, according to this, this fellow, he mentioned that it was something like on on the the measure of 176 billion computations um, that were run to 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 train the single model for OpenAI, which cost roughly 80 million. Now, these this training is happening every single day, and the estimated cost to produce the ChatGPT three mm -hmm. was something in the range of 300 to 400 million dollars. Now, the next one is supposedly supposed to be a trillion in size, multi-trillion, no, quadrillion. Anyways, <laughs> um, anyways, the, the factor is absurd yeah. and the, the scale is insane. And basically, you're going to have a very few amount of people that can actually do the training, afford the training. Yep. And you're going to build on top of that again. So now you have these hyperscalers, these big 10 or big four that have already gone through this, and then you're going to have the opportunity that lies ahead in which you're going to then come and build the apps that are built on top of these platforms, these, these large language models. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting way of, of visualizing it, right? Um, you have that combined with, I mean, there being a, a new world with regards to AR and VR, but when you think about AI, it is the, the hot topic. It's the only reason why the NASDAQ has really started to, to rip versus the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones um, and microcaps. It's it's the only exciting thing at the moment. You know, wh why do you think, like, you just mentioned two other things, like AR and VR, and how, like, there was obviously a lot of buzz around those two things, and there continues to be to a degree, I would, I would say, but, like, why do you think this is just leapfrogged? Like, I think this is something, if you were to ask me a year ago, two years ago, what the next big thing was going to be, or what me as someone who would not be on the bit in terms of tech advancement, et cetera. Cause like the way I look at it is like, this is something, this, the language models, chat GPT bison, I think is the new one that Google, I'm just reading. <laughs> it's, always that, an it, it's always an animal. The fact that it's 
easy to use? I don't know. I, I guess like there needs to be something that you need to, to learn. But I mean, you, you talk about people just on, you can go over dinner, you can play with this thing, right? You can just sit around with, with, with your friends or your kids and you can play around on this and yeah. for, you know, relatively low cost, obviously. And it's just, it's so easy to access, I, I would say. And obviously the, the way in which we're going to be doing work and the way that we're going to be using this in the future, who knows, but that ease of use is, is something and the barrier to entry to that is so interesting. Cause you talk like, is AR and VR a cool concept for sure it is, but what's the accessibility for, for people using that on their everyday? It's more of an entertainment thing than it is an actual use. I feel like, and that's, I feel like that's a big reason why this is leapfrogged right to the top. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's basically, it's a killer app. Yeah. Crypto is looking for this for, I don't know, the last 10 years and it hasn't found itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people always thought crypto is going to have to find its it's a wallet solution in order for people to truly take for it to take hold within for your grandmother to go and use this. Exactly. Yeah. My grandma can use ChatGPT. I don't mm-hmm. think she is, but she can. She could. Yeah. Um. I mean, in two months, it reached 100 million global monthly active yeah. users. Instagram it took 28 months. Facebook took 54 months, and Twitter took 65 months. Just to, to compare, TikTok was nine months. So ChatGPT relative to these other massive hyperscale social media platforms yeah. is growing faster than anything in the history. And I mean, I think that speaks to the interconnectivity of our world and our life and the way in which we, we live today. But I also t- speaks to the ease of use that anybody can do it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, like you'd mentioned, you can go to dinner and use it. Yeah. And that wasn't the case mm-hmm. with any sort of crypto app. Yeah. And it's even worse with, with AR VR. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. Like I'm not putting on AR VR glasses. Um, Josh Wolf has a, a statement where the directional arrow of progress is having less interference with your technology mm-hmm. on your day to day. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen a bunch of releases just this past week where you have, um, the next stage with your cell phone is likely that it's going to be something more closer to what happened on Star Trek, right? Where you have it emitted onto the, onto a table or onto your hand or something like that. And, and while that might be true, it's probably pretty far into the future. Yeah. That's how I kind of think about all killer app options. If you truly need, if you're looking at an investment opportunity and it seems cumbersome, that's not a good idea. It really has to be easy to use, yeah. Especially if it's going to become incredibly viral. So I always think about like it's, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but like lowest common denominator. I always think about that when you're just thinking about using anything. You have to think about in order to reach mass, in order for someone to be understood on mass, you need to consider who's you know from a understanding standpoint or an accessible standpoint, whatever it might be, you have to think about that. You can't design it for the 1% of people who would be on your level. Right. And I think sometimes it's, you can easily get caught up. Like, I mean, there's tons of, you know, little newsletters or, you know, accounts you can follow on Twitter and stuff like that, where they, you know, you see the technology coming out of MIT or, you know, some random tech company has designed, take your pick what it is but something that's oh this is a really cool one minute video and that's all it is it's a cool one minute video about a product being developed and and being used but no one's ever going to like why would you spend money on something like that and it's just it's again i think we're seeing less of that and with the environment that we're in like the investments that are going into those kind of things that aren't necessarily usable on a wide scale are not being invested in and are probably going to continue to not be invested in it's going to be more focused investment as we as we talk about um or as we have talked about at length you know as an extension to common denominator or lowest common denominator i think it's also important to think about like what the economics of that product might be Mm -hmm. because like if it's going to be commoditized or it's an aggregator an aggregator being like think about ben thompson's theory here where aggregation theory where you bring all people onto a platform and then you can then leverage that into higher margin products, that being advertising with regards to Facebook and Google, um, TikTok, et cetera. With this, um, it's effectively commoditized computation and and, and um, ch- um, chat prediction mm-hmm. or uh, word prediction. So it's, it's commoditized that, aggregated you there. What are they going to build on top of that that is a higher margin business product so that they can actually make real money yeah. here? Because... At the end of the day, commoditized products are a terrible industry to be in unless you are 
at scale, yeah. large hyperscale. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, anyone thinking about building products or anything like that, the best way to think about it is um, around the idea of margins here. I mean, you could build something that gets, if you need mass adoption to make good money on it, don't do it. Um, go and find something with higher margin that only requires maybe a thousand customers or a hundred customers, right? Yeah. So always think in reverse back from that, the economics of that idea, right? It's it's just such a waste of time to, to pursue an idea that needs a hundred million users. users yeah. I mean, it's not a waste of time. It's just incredibly hard and you need to have that like, aha, this is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. There's very few people that can take something that is clunky and not that great of an experience to a hundred million people. I mean, I can only think of one recently and that his name's Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. So if you think you're him, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but let's assume you're not. So quickly before we move off from the AI stuff, I guess you wanted to quickly maybe chat about Google IO and maybe some of the yeah, cool so things or interesting things you saw out of that. Yeah, so they had an investor day where they talked about their their family of apps. And I mean, some of the stuff that really hit home for me was just how big uh, Gmail is, how big yeah. Google Maps is, just their, the, the, sh- the sheer size of their apps that they choose to make no money on. It's just amazing to me. Well, you, you know, you asked me the other week about the idea of moving away from an Apple phone and or from an iPhone, sorry, and Apple products in general and whether or not I'd be as we sit here with our MacBooks. And I, you know, kind of gave you the the on the fence answers I normally do with some of those things. But it would just be very hard because it's just so it's so intertwined into our life. Now, like from a Google perspective, to your point, like you don't really think about how big some of these things are. Like, I mean, for sure, maybe the the change in me opening up my Google Chrome app to ask it questions, like that's something that I could see changing with everything that's happened. Um, now, it might be another Google product at the end of the day that we might be using on our phones. But from like the maps perspective, especially like that's something it's so intertwined. Like they've done. It's amazing how that's just been not effortless, but just like even when the selection comes up on apps and it's like, what do you want to use? Oh, yeah. It's like Google Maps, obviously. Like I know, actually, I'd seen a few things or notifications. I think through the fo- like through our phones. Maybe I'm not sure if you've gotten them as well. Talking about Apple Maps, like them like investing in that more, mm-hmm. trying to improve it, kind of thing. But I think that's so far gone. Like I mean, again, that's just something. That's an example of a you know a product a service that has just been completely intertwined into our lives, where it's just an automatic. And it's you know interesting that Google having these products already makes me and we, you talked about predictions on which language model and which uh quote unquote chat, chat gpt equivalent is going to become the winner at the end of the day and i feel like again maybe we talked about google being maybe a bit slow moving and a bit um ignorant maybe to their competition to begin with but you know maybe that's being they're being pretty agile to change that narrative because i think you know they have the they have the the backing, the the knowledge, the resources to really come through as the winner here. Yeah, I mean, and I, this is my little shift, but I wanted to mention this. Uh, Palmer Lucky, who was the founder of Oculus, mm-hmm. tweeted yesterday that he tweeted this: the Apple headset is so good. Mm-hmm. And Palmer Lucky is kind of a dick, <laughs> and but. Very honest. He left Oculus in a roar, and it wasn't great. He he founded a more recent um, uh, military business that has since become a unicorn, uh, and uh, Andril, hmm, okay. and uh, they they basically create drones and and uh, missile launching equipment hmm. and hmm. detection and that sort of thing. Kind of falls in line with with Oculus and, and the type of business that it's run. But it being one of the first startups that were able to then demand a decent piece of the U.S. military budget that wasn't Lockheed Martin or Raytheon or, or Boeing, et cetera. Uh, a very talented guy, but he has just recently clearly had access to yeah. their most recent headset, which is super interesting to me hmm. that he made this comment because it went super viral being that it was him. It's yeah, high yeah. praise. So what ends up coming from that, I think is really interesting. I saw a really good tweet or, um, article from from Ben Thompson talking about if this headset is great the the current 
clash of Facebook and and Apple is likely going to re reengage because mm -hmm. they benefit so much from one another. Mm -hmm. The Apple phone wouldn't be so compelling if it didn't have the Apple Air that made you want to use it so much. Right. So the future of the headset likely requires the same thing. So while Apple has, for the last three years, kind of made Facebook, Instagram, its family of apps, its direct enemy, they are most certainly frenemies in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. They need one another to the extent in which they don't want to admit it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. But the future likely includes them both. And the reality is Facebook is and continues to be one of the largest investors into artificial intelligence, all of these layers. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of integration there. They're building a platform and software for these items. It might not be that we wear an Oculus and we do end up wearing that Apple headset. That wouldn't surprise me. But the layer in which it goes on top of it, it's likely going to look a lot like yes, yesteryear. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. And a lot of people are just talking about the, the ways in which we think about artificial intelligence and the way in which it probably go, is going to empower VR, AR. We can't truly fathom yet, but yeah. I'm interested to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. um, so moving on, Cam, what do we have next here? Well, I think we wanted to quickly touch on maybe a little interesting thread that you, you had posted in regards to uh, Eric Nuttall and maybe just quickly talking about, you know, a little update with oil um, and maybe kind of ducktailing that into um, a bit of a discussion on our Alberta election. That's yes. Coming up. Yes. Okay. So Eric Nuttall, for those that don't know, runs a ETF that invests in the oil and gas sector. He is often on BNN, very well-renowned, had an incredible year last year from a returns perspective. Um, he talks a lot about oil demand. So when you're an oil investor, you have to have a macro outlook because you're betting on consumption. Mm -hmm. And he always puts together really great threads on just kind of where we're sitting. And he, he makes he aggregated all of these, this commentary from refineries. So you have oil and gas drillers that pull oil out of the ground, and then you have people that distribute it, those, those midstreams, and then you have downstream, which is your refineries. Mm -hmm. There's refineries like Phillips 66, Marathon, Valero, PBF, Imperial Oil sometimes does it. Integrated companies like Shell, they'll do a lot of it themselves where they'll refine, distribute, and drill. But anyways, he was kind of just talking about um, the commentary from the the most recent um, earnings calls and all of the the refinery business CEOs were effectively saying things are pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's Gucci, and whatever that necessarily ends up being, they tend to have their their finger on the pulse. And they, a lot of the commentary was revolving around COVID lockdowns, China reopening. Europe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just so happens that India and China are half the globe. And if they are back and then growing, mm -hmm. it's likely that oil demand continues to stay elevated. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things too. I, I find it, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to separate the two things. Like when you have rhetoric, rhetoric around, I guess, international tensions. I mean, right now I think we, we would be at a very, there's heightened tensions in the world. I mean, it sometimes it doesn't get as much play because there's just we have so many news stories every single day. Uh, I mean, ever since the Trump era of presidency, I think we've got into this, you know, the, the content world in terms of the the news stories on kind of the mainstream stuff that you see is always going to be in your face, huge, massive story for a day, and then it moves on to the next whatever it might be next controversy the next day. And, um, you know, I, I think that's one of Donald's, uh, legacies that it currently stands and he's looking to reinvigorate that legacy as we speak. But, um, from the perspective of this, it's just, you know, oil consumption, there's only so many sources, there's only so many players. And just because there's, there's tensions in it, some parts of the world kind of thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, those things don't go anywhere. So it's a very interesting, I guess, um, part of the market and of our of our world economy to follow because yes it's volatile but the 
watching the, the I guess the the spikes and and, and changes in, in demand and, and supply, et cetera, is just yeah, it's very interesting. And it's not necessarily connected to one one exact thing where you can just say that's what it's gonna be. Yeah, you can't. And it's it's kinda like when you, you see a house go up for sale in a in a in a neighborhood and let's let's assume you're Vancouver, everyone knows Kitsilano, right? Mm-hmm. And you got, let's call it 100 houses in Kitsilano or 150 houses. Yeah, I know the Cactus Club in Kitsilano. That's yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we definitely don't own property there. Um, very expensive area. So you have Kitsilano of, of, um, in Vancouver and you got 150 houses. So think about the oil market like you have 150 producers. And you have them all producing. All of these houses exist. They all have a price. But you haven't seen one go down. So you have like, if one goes up for sale, it's resetting the price for everything. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the NHL with Ottawa Senators mm-hmm. going up for sale. It's repricing all the other teams, right? Right. Well, that's kind of the way in which the the oil market works in a lot of ways, where if one goes down, it reprices things. Or if one sees new um, restrictions on who they can sell to. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have the largest house go up for sale, let's say Chip Wilson's house goes up for sale in Kitsilano, or the New York Rangers sell. I mean, it's a big deal. It reprices mm-hmm. everything again. So that's kind of how I treat it's the, the marginal buyer does have a huge impact or the, the, the most recent, um, disruption ends up having a huge impact on price, but, um, oil prices do matter a lot and it's a huge input to the cost of goods for a lot of companies and for a lot of people. Um, they're as a percentage of their, their wallet spend oil is a huge piece. Gas is a lot. Um, I know from my house it's, it's, it's expensive to keep it running. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, with all that being said, it is even more important for the Alberta, um, election and Mm -hmm. for our budget. And that is one of the hottest topics for sure. Mm -hmm. We have, what is it? Monday morning recordings around nine in the morning and you have, um, WTI that's trading around 71.27. Yeah, a little lower than predicted. A little bit lower than what our budget has been predicting. I mean, last summer and around August, we had $125 oil. Uh, Alberta was doing real good Mm -hmm. at that point. 70, don't get me wrong, it's good, but that budget surplus that we anticipated, I think it was like between 10 or $20 billion, it's unlikely to look the same if we don't see that predicted number, right? Mm-hmm. So and I believe that that falls between 75 and 85. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, as of right now, we got 14 days, 11 hours until our provincial election. Yeah. And um, you were telling me before, right before we sat down that this is going to be the tightest election that we've seen in recent history. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I, I'm not going to quote any specific uh, outpost on this, but I, I saw a number of tweets in the last few days, just, you know, predictions kind of on both sides of, or showing both sides of the aisle winning. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing I, I took away from some of the predictions is like, we have, I think I got the robo call the other day and asking about, you know, which party I'm going to vote for. And the fact that it's going past two names is always surprising to me just it just given how much oxygen the other two are taking up or the ucp and the ndp are taking up right now like yeah you can vote liberal yeah you can vote alberta party i think there might be one more excuse my ignorance i you know i kind of focus on the on the big ones um but in the projections that i saw again every seat spoken for by either ndp or ucp and within a couple of seats of each other either way in some of the predictions. So I've had more, I know you said that you haven't had any door knocking lately, but I've had two or three over the past couple of weeks. Um, I was saying to Joel too, I don't know if I've seen the amount of signs in a most recent election. Like, I mean, they're obviously that everyone has their signs out in front of their house kind of thing. But I mean, going around my neighborhood, it's orange, blue, orange, blue, orange, blue, like every every crescent I pull down. So I think even just taking something kind of anecdotal like that and projecting that out, I think it's very, to be very interesting to see what these come back on. And I think it's going to be very, very tight. And like every single person that has door knocked with me said the same things. They, all their projections, they're saying this is gonna be very tight. Every vote's going to count. So they're obviously making sure that that point is kind of driven home when they're talking to people. And the other thing we've had, I mean, in general, I guess in Canada, our election turnout numbers are not spectacular. So it's going to be interesting to see what those numbers come back with too. But, you know, only 14 days out, I feel like I'm someone who always tends to forget. I asked Joel to check for us right before we started recording. So this is also kind of just a reminder. Obviously, we're a big proponent of voting. I think you and I have both voted in every election that we could have since being 18. 
think it's something that's very important, especially for, you know, I think a lot of folks listening to this podcast would be in the same boat as us. And, you know, obviously just put that on the calendar, make sure you're, you're getting down and voting. Cause again, this is going to be you have, a very you, tight one. You have no right to complain if you don't vote. And that's uh, the only reason why I vote so I can complain. I mean, and you need that right. So I do <laughs> <laughs> um, without it. What do I have? Um, but <laughs> this hour every week, but that's not quite enough for how much you have to say. Exactly. Um, but I mean, generally speaking until very recently, and I, I have to give a shout out to Mel Coet and her, um, pocket lobbyist, mm. great follow. They have a, um, a fantastic newsletter that I highly recommend. Um, they have a paid version and they have, she has a free one that goes out. It is really worth your time. If you want to just stay up to date, I know for myself, it's always challenging given the, the, the fracturing of, of media. You don't know where everything's coming from. She does a really good job aggregating Alberta political information. Mm. So some of the updates, at least most recently, I know that the United Conservatives came out with a plan to reduce the lower tax Bracket and Cam, you could probably speak to that better than I can. But the the basic savings is at most for someone making sixty thousand dollars a year, seven hundred and fifty dollars in tax um, at the top end. I think if you make sixty or more, you'll save seven hundred fifty bucks. It'll go down incrementally as you earn less. But they're basically lowering the lower tax bracket, is my understanding. Um, they're also dedicating or committing to investing in child and and, and maternal health, um, increasing the the funding for obstetrics and midwifery. I didn't even know that was a word, to mm. be honest with you. But, um, and working to expand newborn screening and supporting important research now. And also, NDP. also bringing in a new arena for Calgary. So, yes, yeah, huge piece of their, their <laughs> Calgary push. Yeah. 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 Um, the Alberta NDP, they're, they're focusing on, the, on electricity bills, um, obviously healthcare workers. This one was pretty interesting to me and I think mm-hmm. it's a very good idea. They're offering healthcare workers bonuses, signing bonuses of up to 10000 to attract doctors, nurses, and other allied health professionals to Alberta to help with overwhelming crises being faced with hospitals across the province. And um, anecdotally, I have a lot of people that work in healthcare as friends and family, mm-hmm. um, people that work on the emergency side, and it is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a close friend that was just down in Airdrie working all weekend, and the wait times are insane nine to 11 hours he was sending me a picture of their wait time docket for the for all of the the regional hospitals yeah and it's ranging from five to 13 hours it's just mind-blowing not good so we clearly have to have that as a primary focus i know for myself the solution to the, the this hospital crisis is is often a moving target but I don't know what to do, how to do it. I'm by no means an expert in any of this, but that is something that needs to be addressed for sure. Incentives, incentives, incentives. Yeah, I don't know. 100%. I think, you know, talking about a lot of topics, we talk about like population, immigration, um, maybe even, I'm not sure if we're going to touch on it today, but just even talking about, you know, just housing related crises, I guess you could say in Vancouver and Toronto, what that might mean for people looking for new places to live, coming to Alberta uh, or choosing a new place to live. You know, these are the kind of things where we want to make sure that we are incentivizing, you know, coming here and I think doing something with, I mean, what's going to speak to someone more than a signing bonus um, realistically. So I think that's actually a decent idea. I think, you know, it's funny, again, thinking back to previous news stories and rhetoric like during covid and talking about i mean i'm not gonna gonna give an opinion on side here because i don't know enough about it but just the the battle essentially that there was in the maybe midpoint of covid between our government and the healthcare workers and you kept hearing the stories like we're losing we're losing people left right and center and i don't think it was very in your face or it wasn't easy enough for maybe the common person to understand or see how that's going to affect and now we're seeing that right i mean the, the laggard on that as people continue to, to, to leave. And then you have more people that are out and about in the world. And I'm sure the instances of accidents and, you know, sickness, et cetera, are on the rise. And now, you know, we were already under or had a, you know, capacity issues before. And now you're seeing that even, 
you know, tenfold. I mean, to, to hear about those kind of wait times and somewhere like Airdrie, I wouldn't consider necessarily a rural place, right? No. And I mean, to have those kind of because a lot of the a lot of the talk talking points are about how in you know rural places around Alberta how they've had huge issues and had to like shut down certain days and had to you know bring people into the major centers. Airdrie's right on the you know you know uh, welcome mat of Calgary. Yeah, and, I would and venture to see to something guess like that. That Airdrie is the fastest growing part of all our province, mm. I would bet. Um, so yeah, concerning, no doubt. And uh, I provide no additional context here. It's kind of outside of my, my purview. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, I tend to listen to my friends as much as uh, they like to complain at me. Mm-hmm. I always like to come back at them and complain to them and be like, you have it pretty good. I was at the Oiler game and the entire lower bowl is all doctors. Yeah. So like they're still doing okay. Yeah. But with all that said, mm-hmm. um, I think well, it's we all the support well too. And it's all the support staff too, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you're only as good as your team in most cases. So we need to make sure we're focusing on all areas. So um, I guess overall takeaway from that whole topic, make sure you're with 14 days out. So do your reading, do your, you know, get your questions answered and make sure you turn out to vote in a couple of weeks. Yeah. This, this is the first year where I'm like not confident in who I'm picking to win. So, yeah, like I said, every these prediction models and the, the polling information, it's, it's tough. Like, I mean, I know how I answer a lot of those questions uh, or, you know, sorry, don't answer a lot of those questions when I'm getting the robo calls, et cetera. So I know that's what a lot of those things are based off of, obviously, phone calls or door to door knocking kind of things. So, I mean, you get a lot of people who aren't participating in that, but at the same time. It, when there's smoke, there's fire. There's got to be something there, and mm-hmm. the fact that even the the candidates themselves are saying are really making it a, a point to say, "Hey, this is going to be very close." So make sure that you you are making time to to get this vote done. Yeah. So I think I'm going to skip our last topic for the day because we're running a little bit long here. But um, I have a couple recommendations. I highly recommend people take a, take a, a gander at. Drucken Miller's Sewn conference interview. It was phenomenal for anyone just to, to get a feel for what a true um, professional investor sounds like, thinks like. Great place to be. And then also there was a Masters in Business episode where they inv- in, um, they interviewed Howard Linsden. And he had a really good quote that I thought was um, relevant and important, uh, at least for me anyway. And it was it's around the lines of whoever created the MBA curriculum and named it is an idiot it's called it's like a master's in business basically yeah but at that age how can you have a master's in business you have to have losses to become a master and i think that that's super relevant and true he's in his 50s and he's got his mba yeah but he said he didn't he wasn't a master in business until now and i I think that that's true i mean getting your mba at 28 to 33 you haven't truly become a master in anything until you have some losses and some wins. And I mean, it, as I get older, I realize that more and more. So totally. Um, I think you'd already alluded to what I think my recommendation. I was listening to it on the way here. So that Ben Thompson piece, like Google IO and the coming AI battles, uh, it's a short little episode, um, podcast you can listen to. So I thought it was, you know, obviously did a little bit of prep before getting in here for it uh for that discussion but it was uh it was a good one so always great stuff coming from ben yeah highly recommend the newsletter this week i have a lot of great threads while the news was boring last week i had some really good stuff that i read and i couldn't um i put it i kind of distilled it all in that newsletter so give that a check as always cam it's good chatting and um i look forward to to doing this more often in our new location yep excited for the future of the podcast Thanks to our team here, and we'll talk to you next week.